Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Georgian trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Bingval. Got some got some some uh got a got a little something different for you this week, but it's gonna be good. Got Rowan and Mike with me. Yeah, you, you know Rowan from talking How's with going? Uh, Robbie on the sports episodes that we've been doing. And yeah, we got some I guess some crazy I mean, it won't be breaking by the time you listen to it, but there's pretty good breaking news, so to speak, in the sneaker world right now. So, how are you guys doing? Man, I'm doing good. I can't complain about anything on this side. How are you doing, Roy? I'm doing well. Just knock on wood another day in overcast paradise here in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of funny. It, it it got down to, you know, 32 here in Sacramento the other day. So over overnight, but like low fifties during the day. And that's almost a blizzard in California conditions. If I remember my school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I, you know, I've been in LA for two and a half years, maybe a little longer. And I started thinking, wow, when was the last time I actually felt this kind of cold? And it's probably (laughs) been since like living in Detroit when I was at StockX. So I'm definitely a warm weather fun in the sun kind of guy but i'm also appreciative of having uh, a little bit more of a uh, change in seasons here in sacramento <laughs> compared to los angeles so. i feel like nick's tech flu's game is about to get crazy he's like yeah. yes now i can wear it all <laughs> no, i was gonna oh, say yeah. what jim harbaugh is the khakis nick is about to be for the tech fleece revolution <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the 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 hoodies you know i i'm i'm a I don't know if I, I would call it an addiction, but I definitely have a serious problem with hoodie purchasing. And uh, I always end up buying black hoodies. And I don't know why. That's just how I what I like. So whatever the brand is, I end up buying black hoodies. And then it's like, well, what hoodie are you going to wear? Well, Nick, it looks it all looks the same, so just pick a black one. But. Yeah, man, just it's a look at it this way, right? Growing up, we had the Fonz with his leather jacket. The leather jacket has now been replaced by the black hoodie, and you've oh. got so many of them. <laughs> hey, yep, yep. hey, yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh man. So, um, I guess like let's let's just jump right into it. What what are you guys rocking and copping this week? Yeah, so I'm going to let Roy go first. Since he's the first time rolling with us, you let us know what you got, man. Uh, I actually wore my Zoom Revis bread beaters. I love that shoe. It's one of those shoes that in the moment I should have bought more pairs of because it's so comfortable and it's so unique looking. Uh, In terms of what I tried to cop, I think like most of us, there was a certain sneaker notification that popped up in my phone today. But unfortunately, I was unsuccessful in copying those Jubilee 11s. But who knows, maybe come the actual release date of the shoe, I'll try again. How about you? Man, first of all, I think that, I feel like there's gonna be a lot of those. Eleven, they've been like putting on like big numbers, so hopefully it's the same uh, same thing like last year. Where if you wanted it, you have a good chance of getting it. Mm-hmm. But today, I broke out that twenty fifth twenty fifth anniversary uh, Reebok question red toe. Put that on today. Um, what I'm trying to cop, uh, definitely missed out on those elevens as well. But Sneakers app has put up both Bruce Lee Kobe fives, and I told everyone that those are there's only two shoes I'm looking for between now and Black Friday: Kobe fives and yellow toe questions. So quite, that that is still holding true, and we're gonna cro- cross our fingers that happens. 
If I may, you were the one that broke the news to me, so to speak, over Instagram. So I thank you, Mike. And now I feel less bad about missing on the 11s because that white and black pair, especially the Kobe fives. Oof. To quote Rick Ross, man, that is the issue. <laughs> Dude, they're so good. Oh, my God. And I just don't like it. I mean, it's a first come first serve looks like. So I'm really nervous about that because bots have already geared up and ready to go. And it's going to be like just a single tear down my cheek that morning, probably. <laughs> <laughs> what about you nick I, I i'm with you guys i mean i i missed on the uh jordan 11s uh those those kobe both those kobe's man i i i don't i don't think i'm gonna get any of those but you know there's a slight a, a very slight part of me that that just hopes still <laughs> even though even though i know that it's just gonna be like Sorry, you didn't get them. And I'll go on Twitter and see a bunch of posts and pictures. Got them and be upset about it and won't want to be on my phone for the day. But like right now, there's a little bit of optimism in me still. So uh, that's what I'm looking to cop. Uh, today, I actually wore a kind of random pair. Uh, it's the DDS Huff Runner. I think it's like the Huff Runner 5 or something. It kind of looks like an Air Max 1, but it's a, it's a Mighty Healthy collab. So it's like a oh, I'll post pictures, post pictures in the discord. I didn't take a picture earlier. So yeah, definitely kind of a random shoe, but I, I really love the, the kind of transition that happened between like, like bulky skate shoes to like bulky running shoes in the mm -hmm. skate world. And I've got a bunch of those that, that like that style, just because I feel like you can beat them up and they still kind of end up looking cool, even if they get pretty scrubbed up. So dope. Yeah, see those. Yeah, they're they're pretty interesting, and I mean to to have you know, I mean DVS is is obviously a pretty uh, well known brand, but like to have both Huff and Mighty Ghost Healthy Space as Man? as huh? you know par collab partners on it, it's a yeah. it's a pretty dope shoe. But yeah, I I think uh, you know probably jump into these reviews. We got a few more, so uh, thanks everybody for for spending a couple minutes to head over to iTunes and drop a review for us. This one comes from Chloe H194. Uh, five stars. It says, hooked already. Just started listening and I'm already hooked. Keep up the awesome work. Well, thanks, Chloe H194, for uh, the review and for supporting. We definitely appreciate it if you take a minute and, and leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, whatever you choose to call it. I guess technically it's Apple Podcasts now, but... <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of like GIF and GIF, right? I'm still a GIF person. Tomato, tomato. I'm still an iTunes person. I guess that's just like a symbol of who I am, right? Like I'm just stuck in an old, stuck in the old world of like oh, <laughs> history. Yeah, but <laughs> shoot, man, definitely appreciate the comments because I couldn't even find them. That's after this last Apple update, I couldn't find them. So thank you even more because if you can find how to put a comment in, you're doing better than me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of hinted at the at the the jordan 11 drop and we'll, we'll get into more of that stuff in a few minutes but there's also some some other interesting releases going on this week so mike i'm gonna let you uh start us off in that direction cool so first thing we're gonna look at is going to be the converse and aba collaboration which if you don't know american basketball association so before Everything was cohesive. If for, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of our listeners know there was an NBA and an ABA. And Converse is actually paying homage to that league by releasing three different models and some very ABA, uh, you know, motifs, I guess just to say. Uh, the BB Evo, uh, which is a nice looking shoe. I really want to get my hands on a pair of those. Uh, the G4 and then the Chuck 70, of course, you got to have that. And they're all going to be pretty much you know, just covered in just all these different details and they're, they're really nice. I'm a big fan of all three of them actually. And looks like they're going to be available starting November 12th. So I think you guys will probably hear this by the time that day comes around and the prices are really solid between 85 and 120 bucks. So super reasonable, super good looking shoe, especially with basketball seeming to be coming back a couple days before Christmas It's the perfect timing for them. Now, I was just going to say this, the fact that they're paying homage to the ABA, it's readily apparent, especially if you're looking at the silhouettes of both the BB Evo and the G4i. Mm -hmm. For me, and granted, this is one of those age-defining moments that Nick was alluding to earlier, this will just showcase my age a little. 
it's the fact that whenever I think of the NBA, let's say in the 60s and the 50s, I just think of the stock black and white footage of like crisp chess pass, super fundamental. I'm going to bank it off the glass. And then the ABA was just, lack of a better term, the TV in color. And you saw the big mm-hmm. afros. You saw the vibrant colors popping off the screen. The ABA is responsible for, in no particular order, the slam dunk contest, about half the franchises in the league today, and the three-pointer. And mm-hmm. more importantly, and I probably think the most lasting impression that the ABA has left on us is, ironically, during the three-point shootout, the money ball is the actual ball that they used to play within the NBA that famous red, white, and blue ball. And the designs are definitely paying homage to that. I can't wait to get my hands on them too, especially the Converse G4 High. And to your point as well, Mike, they are very friendly on the wallet. So if you're trying to ball on a budget, these will definitely allow you to do that. Heck yeah, man. That's what it's all about. And I know Nick loves some Converse. What do you think about these so far? Oh, yeah. These are are super, super dope. I mean, the G4... It's just a beautiful looking shoe mm-hmm. to have that kind of like traditional ABA red, white, and blue motif is I'm kind of just dumbfounded that, that this actually happened because you just don't see brands paying attention to the ABA in any way. Right. And yeah. yet there's, you know, like Rowett said, there's so much history there. There's so much just reason to, to celebrate what they were, how they basically created the NBA as it is now for us, you know? So, and I, I like the Chucks. I like that they, that they pulled all the old team logos on there, which it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a walking history lesson, so to speak. You know, it's like, you can, you can look at it and see the teams that, that made it, the teams that didn't, and you know, where the names changed, where they remain the same, which is really kind of cool. Well, it's crazy because Converse is not, I mean, it's still a collaboration with ABA, but it's not a collaboration with like any other like brands. And it's crazy how with that all over print of these teams, I say, I mean, I, I know I'm going to get like blown up probably, but I know people are going to agree with me as well. This was done way better than that Supreme Air Force one with all NBA logos on it by far. Absolutely. I'll definitely yep. agree with you on that because I think more often than not, we think of Converse in that genre and specifically that decade of the 1970s. And there's just something that feels a little more organic about this. And I think, you know what, I'll take some of those blowups as well. It, everything looks spaced appropriately that Supreme shoe. It just looked like people were just haphazardly throwing logos on there. And I know it's Supreme, so I don't want to ruffle too many fanboy feathers, but this is a classy shoe in that sense. And I don't know about you guys, maybe it's the recent patriotism in me given current events, but I'm always a sucker for a great red, white, and blue shoe. And I think all three of these shoes embody that. And like I said, if I see anybody wearing these out in the street, you're going to get a socially distant air pound high five because kudos for you, because these are some truly stylish shoes. For sure. I like that socially distant yep. air pound. Just a little nod. Like I see you. Yeah, the nod. <laughs> all yep. right. Yep. Now let's see what else we got here. Looks like Adidas and Jonah Hill are coming back around with another collaboration. And looks like this time it is on the Samba. Um, from what I see here, it looks like we have three colorways, like this kind of golden wheat colorway, this forest greenish, and I don't know what other colors. Reminds me like that with the, the spruce color that was on a uh, God of uh, the Fear of God sneaker. Then you have the, looks like the, burgundy color sambas uh i mean i'm not a huge samba guy i respect the shoe for what it is and the history behind it uh but these are good looking shoes like there's some pretty decent materials um i mean adidas is pushing their celebrity um celebrity uh collaborations pretty hard i mean recently we had the the ivy park collaboration with beyonce looks like that the second wave did a little bit better than the first but yeah i mean although i don't see myself really picking these up i don't see anything wrong with them i mean i love the advertising reminds me of like early 90s like uh glamour shots or those mall photos you do with like the the two pictures of one in the background one in the foreground is is pretty cool and there's also clothing that is going to go along with it still really 90s inspired and everything again seems to be really price friendly which is something you typically don't see around the the holiday releases so looks like you're ranging from the uh the sneakers and everything 
Um, looks to be ranging between 16 and 110 bucks. Super solid, and it should be dropping. Um, I want to say November 11th is the drop date here, so around the same time as this Converse collection. So we got a lot of stuff happening this week. Yeah, what do you think of these, Robert? The image and the essence of the shoe is very much 90s. And it was something that when we first kind of got this in our inboxes to talk about, I was looking at the fact that, okay, this is yet another thing that Jonah Hill is kind of penning uh, a love letter to the 90s. His first movie that came out, I want to say two years ago, was mid-90s. And mm-hmm. this shoe and this capsule, if you want to call it that, would slot in seamlessly in that movie. And I do like the imagery as well. It, to Mike's point, we're getting a lot of school background photos that most of us were going through in the third and fourth grade. The level of disinterest in these models is just that perfect amount of 90s. And <laughs> I'm excited about this. I'm not usually an Audi guy myself, but this is something definitely I'd check out because of the fact that it's understated, but it is also quintessentials 90s, which is kind of an oxymoron as I talk out loud. But I'm looking forward to it, and I think he's done a great job in terms of capturing an authentic flavor and feel of that particular time period. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, it's fascinating to me because like that's probably one of my favorite eras as well, like kind of that weird that weird like where do you fit in when you can't play basketball well and you can't skateboard well but you're like gonna hang out with one of these groups of people (laughs) no matter what right um but it's it's also cool that like they kind of redid the the samba a little bit right where you've got the samba logo on the side and it's it's definitely like the graffiti that you would have seen in the 90s as well but i think you you nailed it with the uh just the the pure boredom across the face of all the models <laughs> is, is, is perfectly nineties. But if you, ha- if you haven't seen mid nineties, I, I thought it was a really great film. It's a little, uh, uneventful in, in the sense of like, you know, it's not like crazy action or anything like that, but to get a sense of, of what the nineties were for a lot of people, I think, I think like a lot of kids in the nineties, I should say, like it's, it, he did a really good job. Uh, in my opinion, so it is kids for kids, meaning it's still kind of explicit in some senses, but he's yeah. done a great job normalizing it where it's not a completely out there movie. Like there was no blowback to this movie the way kids kind of had in that mid nineties when we were actually there. But the thing I love most about this movie is the fact that that relationship between the main character, Stevie and this new group of friends that literally just take him on as this younger brother figure felt so authentic. I wasn't a skateboarder growing up, but my sport of choice, if you can call me playing basketball sport was basketball and just that camaraderie. And that one thing that brings people together, much like sneakers does where I may have nothing in common with somebody other than my love of basketball. And I thought this movie was that quintessential coming of age movie, but it was done with an authenticity that didn't make it seem corny. Like a lot of the movies we usually see do a job of. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing about about Jonah Hill that fascinates me is, you know, he's kind of like a a fashion icon in a sense because of, you know, the throwing fits guys or the the four pins guys, right? Lawrence and um, James and them, because you know they they kind of put him on a pedestal early on and it grew like crazy, right? And what I really love about that is, like Jonah Hill dresses fairly just like normal everyday dude, kind of person right but yet now he's you know obviously he he takes some chances and stuff but he's not doing anything that's super crazy from a fashion sense it's very simple and yet he kind of was like put on this pedestal and now has these opportunities to be creating a whole you know list of things with adidas over the past few months so kind of awesome it all skyrocketed with him whenever they had the picture of him with the tucked in basketball jersey like the chinos and people lost their mind and Boom. Now we have Jonah Hill of the known day. Yeah. Yep. Jonah Hill salad <laughs> for sure. No, it, it's cool with y'all. There, there was a point that you made when we were initially talking about the story, Mike, that I kind of want to touch on with you guys, mm-hmm. given that we are the Sneaker History Podcast. What do you guys make of the fact that Adidas is kind of zagging when everybody is zigging in terms of their endorsers tend to be more and more celebrities? 
as opposed to the athletes that we normally see with apparel and footwear? Do you think this is kind of just going to be their new strategy or is this kind of making sure that, hey, we're kind of sticking out in a playing field of people that are essentially selling the same product? Here's how we're different. Man, I think they're going that way to celebrity because to be fair with Adidas, I, I, I do like their product, but they don't have a real real signature athlete in the sense of no one's out there knocking down a door for their for that new signature. They're not, they're not knocking down a door for the new Donovan Mitchell shoe. Yeah, I still have sure. the original initial colorway because of the price point, but typically you can go back now and find them sitting on shelves. Um, they don't have that um factor when it comes to athletes. But if you flip it around, they've yep. done a really good job of doing what I guess Nike didn't keep doing. Like once they had Kanye, they didn't keep doing it. They went in with, you know, they started still pushing their signature athletes, going with the high designers. Um, but I think they're doing a good job. They found their lane. Now I think they can do some, you know, better, you know, put some more thought into some of the sneakers they come out with because I think there's so much more you can do with Pharrell at this point. I mean, what he does still sells out, but I know there's a little fatigue of the NMD and just colored up, uh, you know, campus and so on and so forth. So, but they still have a hit there. Kanye is going to do Kanye numbers regardless. Uh, Beyonce, she could have put out a regular superstar and her fan base would have bought them all. So they're on the right path. I think now as they have this platform, let's go ahead and take some more chances because they have man they, they can do it i mean they, they have all these uh, these superstars there i mean i really wish that they could have done more with uh, donald glover because he had one shoe uh it was three uh, one sorry one collection three shoes uh but they're they don't think they long, any longer have a relationship so i think they're they're on the right path but they have to really hone in and focus like give everyone the same resources to put something out that you can sell out every go round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, I think they're making the right choice by going more towards lifestyle partnerships because we're just in a time where, you know, sneakers are everywhere. And as much as like I love watching basketball, you know, watching baseball, I love sports in general, right? But from a consumer standpoint, I really, I really shouldn't be buying performance basketball shoes, let alone buying multiple of them. You know, like I, I realize that's like, that's kind of like weird in a, in the grand scheme of things, right? There's not a whole lot of people that can relate to, or or want to purchase a strictly performance basketball shoe that compared to, you know, somebody that could buy a, you know, a, a, an Adidas Samba a superstar skate shoe, you know, any of those kind of like more casual sneakers that Adidas has been, you know, making partnerships, you know, or bringing partnerships together around. So I think it's, I think it's also, you know, there is some truth to what Mike said. It's, it's something that I think Adidas is aware of. They, they don't have, uh, you know, one of those superstar athletes that's really going to move the needle in terms of, you know, performance product, especially in basketball. And I think I think they're also aware of, you know, just the internal challenges to to create great product. You know, they they make a lot of, you know, mid to slightly above average shoes and they make a very small amount of of great shoes when it comes to performance. I'm speaking specifically of basketball. But, you know, I, I think that that in itself is kind of the, the interesting part of, you know, stepping back and looking at the whole approach for them as a business. You know, they've they've really they've really embraced their success in a lot of ways that I think the sneaker market would never have suggested. Right. You know, NMDs are are still around or back around, you know, like the ultra boost still in, in ridiculous amounts of colorways. You know, I think, you know, their brand takes a different approach than, you know, like the stuff we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but I think it actually, it actually works for them and it gives them a, you know, a, a different edge in a different space. And I think it, it's, 
it's embracing the fact that, you know, it's not just about athletes, right? You know, entertainers are just as inspiring, you know, somebody that makes a movie about the nineties and skateboarding, you know, that's relatable to a huge percentage of the population that has no interest in buying a, you know, a, a Donovan Mitchell shoe right now. Right. Yeah. So that to me is really, really kind of a, an interesting kind of piece of the market that they're cutting, cutting out for themselves. Not to say that, you know, people aren't going to wear performance shoes off the court, but it's definitely not happening near as much as it, it used to. Do, do you know there were re-releasings? They said they're, they're um, most sought after NMDs, like the original NMDs. They're about to start coming out again eventually. Yeah, I think that's great, man. I mean, yeah. I, I, I love that shoe back I, in the day. Like when it first came out. I got the first, like the triple white colorway. I actually went to the mall like, before it opened to make sure I got a pair. And I loved it. I beat this shoe to the ground. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think the interesting thing about that is, you know, I, I think Rowett said it best. They really are, you know, zigging when, when Nike is zagging, right? Yeah. Nike's, Nike's going to double down on, you know, Virgil Abloh off-white collabs and Travis Scott releases and um you know like the, the secondary market plays a big part in in how all of that you know works out but at the same time i think adidas is just saying look we just want to make shoes that everybody can buy and if we got to make more shoes and we sell less of them or we get less press for those shoes that's a that's a cool a cool way to approach it because you're, you're almost saying like look we don't even want to step into that game you know I mean obviously they do to a certain extent because Yeezy and you know the limited releases and they obviously are going to have high energy releases but even like the consortium stuff that they've done recently it's it's accessible but it's it's incredibly well made mm -hmm. and I think they're in a place where. Rather than Nike knowing that they already have, you know, 70% of the market, Adidas can look at it and say, we just need to make sure that more people have our shoes on their feet. If that means the shoe sits on the shelf a little bit longer, or if we end up not making as much of a profit off of it, it's a long-term play for a lot of that, right? And if they know that the NMD originally got a lot of attention and got a lot of people to love the shoe, because it is a pretty comfortable shoe, you know, it's it doesn't hurt to bring it back. Like, you know, that, that saves them money in terms of designing new product. It saves them, you know, energy in terms of, I think, uh, you know, pushing it out there because people already know what it is. They don't have to do a whole lot of marketing for it. And if, if the shoe, if the shoe works for people, then there's no point in changing it in my opinion. So. Yeah. And you just got to look at the website. So everyone's, we're so stuck on the things that we typically see and typically do same websites over and over when it comes to maybe sneaker stores if people look in broader spaces, like look at stores like sneakers and stuff, look at places like end uh, those, those foot patrols. I know they're overseas, but Adidas is look at the same shoes sitting here. Like for example, the, the Hey TZX 8,000 collaboration. I thought I was going to sell out here and I was like, crap, I'm not going to get it. I got to a point now I can sit, wait for it to go on sale in the U S because it's not going to get the attention here. But in Europe, I've been just doing widespread searches for some new set of videos I want to do. And in Europe, this stuff flies like ZX8000, Aquas, all those collaborations, like the, the one they call the Thanos collaboration, um, that the purple one that's been sitting here and under retail on uh, like third party sites. This stuff is selling out. So they may not be playing to what everyone wants to see here, but there's an audience for it overseas, like uh, Europe, Asia. People are still buying adidas because they like those like you know just traditional like old school runners that that classic look and good materials i will say this i have very seldomly bought an adidas sneaker that with bad materials so i will give them that i like i said it may not be every shoe i love from them but i don't love every shoe from nike so i just i think they're doing a good job they, they're in their lane they're they're making the changes they need to make and I think overall they're putting out a, a good product that I think it just should be talked about more. Let's not, I think people get caught up in the swoosh a lot. No, I think everything both of you just said leads me down a couple different paths. So the first thing 
I kind of thought of as you guys were waxing poetic about the NMD and the Ultra mm-hmm. Boost is the fact that look at the variety of colors it's being offered in. That to me is almost a page out of the Nike playbook and how they handled the first Roshi, where it was a shoe mm-hmm. that was just initially kind of blah, but then as you looked at it, you realized, hey, this is completely different than anything else on the market. And more importantly, this is comfortable as heck. And it was one of those things that once they saw that the proof of concept of that original iguana green Roshi, and apologies if I got the colorway wrong, then it was just like, pick a color, we're going to make a Roshi out of it. Then it was pick a material, we're going to make a Roshi out of it. To your other point, I think it was Nick around how are, how is Adidas kind of combating Nike and the scarcity around Nike product. When I think of the sneakerhead community, I always think of two things. There's the exclusivity factor of it and the fact that, okay, you know what? Oh my gosh, he's wearing dead stock Jordan 3s that are only found in the year 1980, whatever. They're embracing the other pillar of the sneaker community, which is the actual community itself. And there is something very nurturing and heartwarming to see everybody, regardless where they are in life, wearing the same shoe because it's that great conversational piece of, hey, you're wearing the same shoe I am. That's awesome. We have a bond there. We have a connection there. And similar to what we were kind of alluding to in that skateboarding movie topic, it just builds a greater familiarity and a greater appreciation for a great shoe. And then also the community that that shoe supports. One thing I also wanted to touch on was the fact that we're looking at it almost exclusively always through the American lens. And this is something that we were kind of chatting about off mic before the show even started. We have to kind of get rid of that American ignorance because when we're talking about sneaker history, we have to realize that history and that trend and that just kind of sociology of it has to extend past these borders. So I thought that was a really astute call out by you, Mike, if I remember correctly. Yeah, man, no, you nailed it. You're right. We, we get stuck in that same lens. We got to realize this everywhere. I mean, um, God, I can't remember the name of the show, but Complex had a YouTube show where it's like basically just looking at all these different, you know, looking at the different regions, talking about the different ways that they, you know, purchase and kind of consume sneakers. And I really love that because they didn't just stick with, oh, New York and L.A., take it or leave it. But they went to Japan. They went to, uh, you know, Europe. They went to all these different places and it just showed the different stores and the differences. And I think it's so easy for us to get locked into where we are because of the sneakers app losses all the time, the easy drops. We get we get so like used to and just so uh, conditioned for these same items that we just forget that there's other things out there. I mean, I was able to find a lot of stuff lately that has just no one talks about because again, we're just conditioned in the same like three sneakers we see every week. Yeah, I think the the whole like I mean, as we were talking about before we hit record, the whole concept of the global market, right, is something I think we could do a better job about kind of bringing attention to also, because that is something that we do really look at it through a a very like narrow American lens, right? The, the, The conversation we had, you know, to start this is very much only relevant right here you know, in America. And I think that's also something that is fascinating about where Adidas is in terms of how they embrace entertainers, right? They've always had, um, I think more, a more global group of entertainers than Nike in terms of uh, you know, Nike, Nike tends to lean towards sport, right? Always, always have, and always will, right? They're about the athletes and, you know, that's a part of their, you know, like, that's just a, that's just like woven into the fabric of the company. But I think Adidas, you know, whether, whether you want to look at, you know, maybe the the eighties and run DMC or more recent stuff where you've got, you know, a Pharrell or a Kanye, you know, they've always kind of embraced entertainment over sport. And when they do embrace sport on a, on a global level, it's definitely not American sports. And I think they're way more successful outside of, outside of America in like the performance area than they are here. But they're also just, you know, more, I think, like Mike said, uh, all the, all the, you know, retro product is, super you know you can you can see everybody that that you know is especially you know in europe right so many people 
are diehard collectors of very specific models of Adidas. And we don't see that with Adidas in the States very much at all. And I think Nike has kind of taken that, right? Because you'll see somebody that has 60 different colorways of the Jordan 1. But you probably couldn't find... It would be a challenge to find somebody that had 60 different colorways of, say, superstars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, It's a really... It's a really interesting conversation. And I think we could even, we could go much further down, you know, that with bringing other brands in and maybe we should do that on an upcoming episode. Cause yeah. I, I think, I think one of the other missteps that Adidas made was buying Reebok. And I don't think that Reebok is, I think that Reebok is an incredible brand. I think that it's severely underperforming for, for the legacy that it has and the history that it has. But I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity there for Reebok to stand on its own again. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that, you know, um, there's conversation at Adidas about getting about selling Reebok again. You know, it's it's been an ongoing thing. It's like a few years back, it was Shaq was going to buy it. And, you know, this time around, it's like, you know, they haven't been as as clear, but there's a lot of people talking about, OK, what if you know, what if this group comes in, but personally, because, uh, you know, I think the, the American companies tend to approach things in, it's almost like VF buying Supreme, right? VF mm-hmm. owns a dozen well-known brands. And it's a, it's a, to me, that's a really odd thing because now you've, you've, um, I, I guess like you're not stepping on toes, but like if you're if you're Nike and you normally partner with Supreme, now you're partnering with the parent company of Vans and Timberland and all these brands that you're competing with on a, on a daily basis. So to me, Adidas, although I know they they have purchased companies along the way, it seems like they've been relatively unsuccessful with it. Right, Reebok definitely took a hit when Adidas bought them. Uh, you know, I think it was uh, Callaway Golf or or one of those companies that they bought a few years prior, and that company really took a you know took a turn for the worse once Adidas took over. And I think that that approach is just some businesses just aren't aren't set up for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You could you know try it. If it doesn't work, let it go and get back to focusing on on who you are and you know the three stripes and keep moving forward. So um, I just realized. I kind of got a little off topic, but I figured we might want to even jump into that that whole, you know, VF Corp buying Supreme if we want to. So I thought um, it was as beautiful of a segue as we're going to get in this podcast. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it was fantastic. Like, we're going to just slide into that. Yeah. <laughs> but man, what, what was it? Two billion dollars or something like that? And I mean, about two point three. Two point three. It's an obscene amount of money. I honestly didn't realize. I mean, Supreme would be that worth that much money. But I mean, hey, I, I guess they are. But what's crazy to me is that apparently all the heavy Supreme collectors are going to still be like, all right, cool. But apparently a lot of people who are big resellers of the brand are are freaking out now because now they're going to have all this infrastructure to go ahead and put out more product. And people are freaking out like, oh, no, it's not going to be limited. We can't, you know, sling this box logo T-shirt for, you know, 10 times what it's worth, so on and so forth. And I mean, I'd say it's good for good for Supreme. They can go back to, uh, you know, being what they, I guess, truly are, which is, uh, I mean, they were a skate brand. So if they want that infrastructure to be like, hey, we want to be able to get more houses, we don't, they don't give a crap about the resellers. Like, they like the hype. But when it comes down to it, every brand wants to sell more. And that's the only, I mean, why would they sell to this company if they didn't want to sell more product? So I think I'm really interested to see what happens in the long run because VF owns Vans, they own Timbaland, which is a, two brands that Supreme typically does a yearly collaboration with. So that's going to be easier. I don't know if we're going to see as many Nike collaborations anymore. I'm sure you can probably still work it out, but um, I'm more interested in anything. I've never been a Supreme guy. I have owned zero pieces of it. It doesn't intrigue me at all because of, I guess how people act when they get it. So I've never been a big proponent of it, but I'm more interested to see what happens on the business side of where they're going to go up and you see them like in a, you know, this is a 
probably sacrilegious any Supreme collector, but if you're going to see them like in a pack sun or you can see them in the zoomies or, you know, whatever those maybe higher end store, you're going to start seeing it where you can just go ahead and grab it from like a department store now. Now that's going to be the fascinating subplot of all of this is yeah. you had mentioned a brand like Vans. Vans are very commonplace. Hell, they probably inspired one of the greater modern memes in terms of what are those? Are we going to have that? What are those? Or that <laughs> jumping at the shark moment with Supreme where we're just going to see that historically uncool person have that Supreme sweatshirt and then RIP Supreme. It'll be fascinating <laughs> to see. I just wonder are they sacrificing what's kind of brought them to the dance for that greater accessibility? And how are they going to live with that accessibility? Because to your point, Mike, great if they're making money, because at the end of the day, that's why you have a business in the first place is to get that money. But are they going to lose some of that money because people aren't going to be clamoring for it the same way they would in years past? And I do understand that infrastructural point as well of if most of your collaborators are already part of that VF brigade, then yeah, you've eliminated a couple of barriers of entry in terms of having that conversation. But if you were having those early conversations in the grand scheme of things, does this really change anything? So it'll be a very fascinating story to watch and kind of unfold because now I wonder, will we see secondary brands that may jump up to that Supreme first place in terms of having that number one spot in the hypebeast heart? But all in all, a very fascinating subplot. And I guess the one correction I have to say was, sorry, it was not 2.3, it was 2.1. So the remaining 0.2, I believe, were paid out in Supreme hoodies. So bear with me there. <laughs> Everyone gets that idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it goes too. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's like kind of levels to the Supreme world, right? There's like the old school guys that have been, you know, buying this stuff for 20 plus years there's kind of a second wave of uh you know more collector driven people that are still fans of, you know assuming both of these groups are still fans of the brand and then there's kind of the the more mainstream resale aspect of it and there was a lot of hesitation for for everybody when when you know they took their last round of funding i can't remember louis vuitton or Mm-hmm. um lvmh yeah yeah that was but, when they got it from which i thought they were actually owned by them already but i guess not yeah i mean just just like obviously just a piece of the bigger value of the bigger evaluation of the company right because mm-hmm. you know the talk of you know back then what two three years ago whatever it was maybe not even that long ago huh um was you know is this going to change the the you know the nature of of supreme right is it gonna it's gonna be too mainstream but like look they're they're not selling out in the same with the same quickness that they have over the years mm-hmm. online at least but they're making massive amounts more it's kind of like easy you know okay there's now you know just just even the, the sheer number of products that they're putting out there's just a massive amount of it so I don't think that VF acquiring them will change a whole lot. I could see a situation where Nike doesn't want to partner with them because yeah. people at Nike are very competitive and they just might not want to give, uh, you know, a Vans or a, a Timberland or as a Merrill or whatever, a, any kind of, you know, help. Right. But at the same time, I could also see VF Corp basically saying we're not going to, you know, get into the middle of this stuff. We're not going to meddle in what Supreme is because we bought it knowing that it was a sustainable, you know, massive entity that drives crazy amounts of energy. And if anything, they don't want to mess up the fact that they can take away, take energy, you know, from Nike to create products with Supreme and now have that come back into their portfolio and their bank account at the end of the day. So um it's it's going to be really interesting to see if at any time there is a fall off or any kind of pushback from the consumers to say that supreme is no longer cool right because that's happened a couple of times in the history of supreme but the people that are are into supreme initially and the people that i know that got into supreme in the 90s and early 2000s even they're very much the people that 
are like, screw society. I want something that says I don't care about society. And that's why they love Supreme. And Supreme's done really good at like balancing that. Like we're a skate company, you know, F everyone. And we're also the biggest, you know, pop culture streetwear brand in the plant on the planet. So I, I, I'm excited to see what happens with it. And on, on a, a very like, you know, old me, old school level, thinking about like when I was a teenager wanting to create my own t-shirts and wanting to create my own streetwear brand and all the times that I attempted something along that line of thinking, it's beautiful to see them be able to, to, to rise up to such a level, both monetarily and just, you know, global awareness from I mean, a skate shop. Yeah. I mean, this is a brand that sold people bricks, cough drops, and Oreos. I mean, come on. If you could, they're literally selling ice to Eskimos at this point. <laughs> water to a whale or a well, whale. Anything like they can, they can give you a bottle of water, say put Supreme on it and boom, you bought it. And I mean, that's kudos to them. I mean, you build up a brand so you can literally sell anything. And I think half of their, their brands to see what can we make them buy? Can we make them buy a crowbar? Perfect. We did it. And I, I think to Nick's point, I think they probably gonna get left alone for, for majority, like most of it. They're not going to get forced into things that don't make sense because that, why would you ruin this brand? It's going to make you all this money. Like I said, I think they're going to pump out more product, but I don't think we're going to see anything like, like weird collaborations. Like, hey, we're going to every two months we're going to give you a Vans collaboration now because you have to. So I don't know. I'm I'm, one, I'm, I'm more. I think we're all kind of wait and see how it plays out because you're just going to have that one person who just likes to say, "Oh, big business. We want it to be um, exclusive," and that's just. I mean, sadly, that's part of the sneakerhead way. Sometimes is people want everything to be exclusive and. I don't care, man. You can put Jordan 1s on the shelf, Jordan 11s on the shelf, and just sell them to everybody. I, I don't care. I want to give you that proverbial nod. Like, hey, cool. We got the same shoes. And I'll go away. But yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, speaking of Jordan 11s, do you guys want to hit the next topic? Yeah, yeah definitely. The sadness that happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> seasonal depression, as we like to call it. In the world. <laughs> well, I mean, it's seasonal weekly now because, you know, at this point, so... It's like multiple times a week now. Yeah, this is like I need antidepressants at this point. The way <laughs> Nike treats us. So, what? I guess my thing is this: we talked about this, you know, before we we got on the mics. And hey, people, we have no idea you get exclusive access. It just it happens sometimes. And when it does happen, it's so exclusive that you still can't get it. Like it, it makes no sense. Like we got the early, everyone got the early access to the Jordan 11s. I guess when we're recording this, uh, maybe two hours ago from the time we were talking, and people saw it, people clicked on it, people still think. Oh, <laughs> and when I say people, actually, all three of us. <laughs> that actually reminds me. I totally forgot. I actually got early access to the Kyrie Seven mystery box this morning. Oh, did you? And clicked the link, and there was nothing there. Oh, Wait, no. what? Yeah, there was no, there was, there was like a size, uh, like seventeen and eighteen or something like that left. Like, well, did you? It was like, it was so weird. But I totally forgot about it because I got so obsessed over the Jordan Eleven <laughs> stuff this afternoon. So, did you previously buy a Kyrie from the sneakers app? Because the way they said it played out was that if you previously bought a Kyrie product from the sneakers app, you got it you were going to get the access to the mystery box. Is that true? Or was that just a bunch of nonsense? I can't remember buying a Kyrie product from the sneakers app. So I bought, Um, I believe a Kyrie six, the unite the world or heal the world. Apologies. I've always forget the names (laughs) of the colorways. I bought it and then I returned it because I realized that, Hey, maybe I should at the time be more responsible and, pay a bill as opposed to get these awesome pair of sneakers. Just something about the sneakers after I purchased it, I said, you know what? I'll return these, give them to somebody that hopefully demands and craves these sneakers. So I did buy it. I looked at my sneakers orders just to confirm that I did make that purchase. And I did, and I didn't get the mystery box notification, but the mystery box to me is fascinating because I wonder how many people are going to 
purchase the mystery box and then get upset because they didn't get the colorway that they want. I love the idea. Yeah. I love the idea so much. I mean, there's, you're right. There's going to be one and just, it doesn't sit well with you, but it's so cool. Like to take that chance. Like I'm going to get it, but I have no idea what I'm getting. <laughs> so it, it's cool to me. I mean, I think they should do it with more things, not, you know, nothing crazy. Maybe an Air Max here or there, you know, a trainer or something, but I think it's a cool concept, gets people engaged, get them talking about it. But I do, I would love to see the numbers of the colorways. Like, I guess we'll find out once they all hit the resale market, which was the uh, more rare of the four or five. And we'll, you'll be able to see, oh, okay, there was, you know, X percent was this, that, and the other. But I mean, I think it's cool, but I, I just can't understand how I get exclusive access to something, but I still can't get it. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a weird game, and I think, you know, all the theories that end up out there, like, oh, you bought a Kyrie before. There's obviously no real truth to any of the theories, right? It just seems to be super super random. Well, that's what sneakers said, though. It's like that was a sneakers description. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, it was saying if you had previously purchased a Kyrie product i mean i don't have it you know verbatim but if you previously yeah. purchased the Kyrie product you were going to have access to the mystery box so on and so forth and i mean i, I guess maybe their algorithm got a little screwy because they weren't sure who yeah, they did it. maybe mike to your point it is truly the letter of the law meaning you purchased it you didn't return it like some of us hi yeah. sorry once again thank you <laughs> it's one of those things where I think it is great because it does a couple different things. It generates that interest in the product, which is so priceless in the modern day age. And it's also rewarding loyalty. You mm -hmm. like Kyrie's, you've stuck with Kyrie's through the first trilogy of the new design. Here's a carrot because thank you for staying with us because we know you could buy any sneaker in this world. So case in point, you could buy the Donovan Mitchell sneaker that we were kind of saying, hey, they're cool sneakers. Nobody's buying them. But you decided I want to go with Kyrie because Kyrie's my guy. So thank you for that. Love the mm -hmm. execution of it. I'm just wondering how are they going to be in terms of making it more transparent going forward? Because maybe this is a proof of concept and they realize this is something we want to do for, let's say, the LeBron 19 or the KD 14. It's going to be really interesting for sure, but it's the proof of concept that at least to me showcases uh, imagination that I think in the time of sneaker drops where it's the variety you're giving me is, hey, sometimes we'll release them without telling you. Other times we'll tell you it's going to be at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. It's a change of pace in the right way. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the other thing that I've been noticing, you know, specifically like today with the Jordan 11, right? And I think they did it with the Fire Red 4s and they seem to be doing it with a lot of Jordan retros yeah. is this this early access thing is is also a, a real, uh, you know, behind the scenes would be a real fascinating thing to see the actual interest in a product, right? Because uh, obviously everybody knows the Jordan 11 is coming every December, but to be able to like put it out there and be like, here's a quick taste of it how many people are actually going to see or are going to see this and, and instantly try to get in and, and buy a pair because there's some element of like testing the waters that can exist there for Nike in terms of, you know, it's not like they can just say, Oh, we're going to slow down the production on these shoes. But when you start to think about how far out they're doing it and each time it seems to increase, right? Like the fire reds, I think was roughly a month. Now the Jordan 11s is like, you know, a month, almost to the day, I think you could stretch that a little bit further and, and almost like cut down some cost if you're, if you, you know, assuming you, you don't have a pandemic, right. That's slowing things down or, you know, all the, the tariffs and trade stuff that's been kind of just obscene over the last few years. But like, there's a really interesting aspect to that on the business side and the marketing side of like being able to, to kind of um, capture a little bit of information upfront before you move towards the full commitment of like, Hey, here's, you know, 2 million pairs of the Jordan 11 this year. But I also think the other side of that, that's really, really, you know, a next level fascinating is this Jordan 11 adapt because now you're pushing the dollar amount to, I thought I saw it $500, right? Wait, what? I thought it was going to be like 350 is $500. Yeah. I think that's what somebody said. 
Holy crap. You guys keep but, talking. I'll look this up because I'm fascinated by this price. Point I just got well. like stomach sickness. I mean, I, I still wasn't <laughs> going to buy a 350, but God, like, I mean, they're going to sell out. And this is going to be one of those adapts that holds its value, like the original adapt. So, my goodness. I mean, that I, is a. Whew. Sure, it will sell out because as much as, like, as a, as a uh, you know, kind of cheap ass, so to speak, <laughs> I see that dollar amount and think there's no way that I'm going to spend that. But uh-huh. if I look at a stack of shoes next to me, I could easily trade three shoes for this one. Or, or whatever that looks like, two shoes for this one, dollar amount wise. It is five hundred. It give me a little bit more room, right? So there's, yeah, you know, just in a just in a like you know logistic kind of a sense, it's still a possibility for me, I guess. Yeah. Like you can think about it. I mean, it's 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 one I would. I know I immediately say no because of the price point, but I can definitely see myself thinking about it because like, oh, an auto lace in Jordan Eleven. Okay, like tell me more. It's not an immediate like, Ugh. like I real sit and think about it, and it's like you know what, like you said, can I get rid of a couple items and like make it, like make it work? Because dang man, like I mean, it is cool. It it does have a bit of a boot feeling just looking at the pictures because they have to put so much tech in it. It looks a bit like it stands a bit higher than normal, but I mean, I I like the like the thought behind it. I, I like how they just kind of threw it out there with no one like. Yeah, it was really slow news cycle. They're like, hey, let's chunk this out there and see what happens. And I mean, people kind of lost their mind. And I don't know, man, it's, um, it's pretty cool. But in true sneakerhead slash Jordan fashion, they've already uh, started talking about next year's Jordan 11. Like it never fails. They release one and they start talking about the next one immediately, even if it's an early release looks like now. <laughs> No, and I think next year's model I saw was the cool gray. Is that confirmed? Well, you know how it is. They release one, in, you know, in holiday, then they immediately start talking about next year's. And typically they're right because they, they've been pretty on it for the last few years. But cool grays have been one of those kind of like touchy subjects. Like they won't quite give it to us yet. But I don't know. We'll see. I have this weird feeling we're going to end up getting a Space Jam again because of the Space Jam movie coming out. But I would love to see the cool gray come out. See, I think if we get the Space Jam, I think we'll get it during the summer when the movie's out. And I think it's mm-hmm. going to be another one of those shock releases like, hey, why don't you guys uh, gear up for the movie? <laughs> what's, what's fascinating to me is something you alluded to, Mike, was the fact that what is an adapt shoe right now? Price point, 350 Yeah, yeah. They were like 500 They came down to four, dropped down to 350 finally. And now we're going to be back to that 500 mark with the 11. Okay. So I was at the recently. I was at the Nike employee store, and I think I saw the 350 there. What's fascinating to me is the fact that because it's got that Jordan silhouette associated with it, they thought let's up the price a little bit more. So I always find fascination in terms of what's the added value because of the fact that this shoe is the same technology that we're understanding, and maybe I'm wrong because there's more to this than meets the eye, but it's essentially the same technology. It's just a different silhouette. And that's what's going to be the justification rightfully or wrongfully, not for us to decide to say, yeah, this is 500. I have a feeling this one will sit because of the fact that it is so expensive. And unless Jordan offers some sort of revolutionary trade-in program, like we were alluding to where it's like, yeah, give us three of your sneakers and we'll allow you to make a down (laughs) towards these. Who's to say, but kudos to Jordan because they are kind of pushing innovation with a retro that we hadn't seen in a while. Because more often than not, when we think of retros, we think about the nostalgia factor. But this is truly something more lines, more along the lines rather of the Protero with the Kobe line where they're pushing innovation, but they're pushing it through a retro format. So kudos to them for going for the moonshot. Yeah, and my yeah. only re- reason to think they're going to sell out besides being 11 the ISPA Road Warrior, which was 500 bucks, sold out both times it came out, and it was $500. So that's my only really like, if I can pick like a uh, like kind of a test subject, that's the reason I think it's going to sell out. If that one sold out, this one has no reason not to, I guess. Well, I think personally, aesthetically, it looks good. You know, it, it it's it's enough old Jordan 11 and, you know, not too crazy over the top of a difference, even though you Mm -hmm. can see that it's a little bit chunkier and you can see the, you know, the adapt and, but like, it's almost like the Jordan 11, you know, cause that original Jordan 11 was had like their, what they called the quick lace system. Right. 
where mm-hmm. you, you didn't really have to adjust the laces. You pull them at the top and it tightens the whole thing, which is genius. But this is just like the automated, you know, battery powered version of that. And I think that from a like retro product view, this is this is a way that you can this is the closest they've come to creating a retro product with that technology. Because if you look at like the Hirachi Adapt, which is the most expensive pair of shoes I think I've ever bought. Um, you know, I paid 350 for them, but I was like blown away by the look of the shoe because it still looked like a Hirachi, but it was totally new. And so I think there's an interesting kind of, is this going to work or is it not aspect to putting it on something as important in, you know, sneaker culture as a Jordan 11, because you could do this in a lot of different shoes to kind of, you know, makes incremental steps towards the bigger picture of, you know, automated lacing and app usage on your sneakers and everything across the board. But there's a lot of shoes that you would typically not do that to, right? The Jordan one, the Jordan 11, the Jordan maybe three and four would be almost near the bottom of the list of shoes that you would actually choose to do that two because you know you're going to upset people by messing with the original but i think it's actually at least ex- from a just from a visual standpoint it's close enough to the original that it doesn't feel like it's forced the way you know like a an adapt bb looks like a obviously a new shoe like the hirachi adapt looks like something completely new it doesn't have it doesn't really have anything hirachi about it in my yeah. opinion i mean I, I know that there there are elements but yeah, it's 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 going to be fascinating to see how this is, you know, I don't know how how people accept it or or not. Do you guys, you know, aside from the five hundred dollars, do you guys like the way it looks? It's cool. I mean, um, I think I'm more excited that they went. You know, they they took a chance. They're like, hey, people can love it or hate it, and it seems like it's a pretty decent reception so far. So, I mean, I, I'm in a group that kind of likes it. I like the idea of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a hater. I wish they would have done it with a more recognizable colorway, but this is a proof of concept in that sense. So maybe I was, I'd be a little more jazzed or enthused about it if it was a bread or the space jam or even a Concord, but it is a very fascinating direction that they've taken it in. And I applaud them for that. And if it's one of those things that if it catches my eye on that shoe wall, maybe I will buy it. But at this present moment, I think I will hopefully go for those Kobe fives we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, I was thinking about it when you were saying, if we see a Space Jam, you know, sometime next summer, it would be really fascinating to see if the, if it becomes an adapt version, right? Because you could kind of see that this tests the water and you've got enough time to, to turn around those, those Space Jam colorways in time for the movie. Be really, really interesting. I feel like we're going to start getting weird colorways. You know how the, the Jordan one zoom has this kind of out there colors. I feel like until they can, you know, make sure, Hey, we can sell all these, we're going to get some weird colors. Like almost like the bootleg ones you used to see back in like 2010, 11, they're going to have very reminiscent colorways of that. I feel like. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, that, that was, a that's a pretty solid episode. Um, you guys got yeah. any, any parting shots as we, as we get out of here? Yeah, uh, Nike, don't play with me when these Kobe 6 Grinches come out with this early access and I can't get <laughs> yes. them. That's my parting thought. <laughs> uh, my parting thought is wear your damn mask, people. It's a small gesture, but it goes a long way. And shout out to Robbie. Facts. And shout out to yeah, Robbie. Most definitely. Most definitely. All right. Well, we appreciate all of you. Uh, my name is Nick Ingvall. You can follow me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. Um, guys, let them know where they can find you. Yeah, man. Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MadWatcher789 and, of course, on YouTube at Mike Guillory. Roy, where you at, buddy? I am on Twitter at Rohizi and on Instagram I'm at Roy8M13. But uh, we appreciate everybody rocking with us and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. See you. Thank you. What up, y'all? This is Nick again. First, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a part of your day rocking with us. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a few favors. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. 
Our Patreon members get access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, our latest merch, giveaways, and much more. You can become a member for as little as five bucks a month, and it really goes a long way supporting the crew. Next, make sure you're signed up for our email newsletter. We share updates about the footwear business, some of our favorite finds and deals, and other sneaker-related news a couple times per week. I like to think of it as a one-stop shop for the sneaker game, or at least a work-in-progress one-stop shop for the sneaker game, if you know what I mean. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. Whether online or in person, social distancing in effect, of course, it helps make the sneaker community a better place, and you never know what conversation and opportunity might come from it. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.